Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Uh, could you please introduce yourself? Hello Mara, mm-hmm. uh, my name is uh, Luc van Laken. Mm-hmm. I'm a PhD student uh, here at Amolf in Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, we are a research institute working uh, across different disciplines in materials mm-hmm. uh, research. Uh, and I'm a PhD student in the group of Bas Overvelde called mm-hmm. Soft Robotic Matter. Mm-hmm. And before this I uh, actually worked uh, around 10 years after my master's before starting a PhD mm-hmm. uh, in uh, across different length skills. So I graduated yeah. from a master's from Eindhoven uh, University in mm-hmm. mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. But I was with a project uh, at MIT on growing carbon nanotubes, so I guess on yeah. the nanoscale. Uh, then I worked in a company that uh, where we make uh, make printers, mm-hmm. OSE in the Netherlands. Yeah. So I guess more like micrometer, millimeter scale. Mm-hmm. And I worked for two years in a, a, a company that was developing a new kind of wind turbine mm-hmm. so I guess more megawatts uh, yeah. so so after that I worked for a few years uh, actually six years as an independent mm-hmm. uh, consultant yeah. but I really wanted to go get back into research mm-hmm. so two years ago I, I started this uh, yeah. this PhD here at Amolf. Mm-hmm. That's a nice experience so let me ask you what was the first robot you built, if you built a robot before, or any systems, and what was the feeling at this time? Yeah, actually, um, I don't know if I built a robot in the sense yeah. that many people think of a robot, yeah. like a, you know, some kind of a walking, a human-like mm-hmm. uh, device. Um, but I, I, I remember, for example, when I was working as an independent, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, developed together with a, uh, um, a artistic studio so I, I yeah. worked with artists uh, for, for a few years trying to uh, combine uh, mm-hmm. the science and art which was really uh, enriching experience yeah and one of the things uh, we developed was a um, uh, a light a light installation yeah. that had um, uh, its own character in a way mm-hmm. so it was based on an agent uh, based simulation of yeah. a flock of birds mm-hmm. and and I think the, the experience that I, I really like most was when you write the code, you know every you know uh, period, every comma, you know mm-hmm. you know exactly what you wrote, and still the behavior is sort of unexpected, yeah. uh, in a good way. Then, mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I guess it's sort of the the idea of exp- uh, of emergence that you you know you know what you wrote, and you you know you put all the pieces together, but then the the total outcome is, is still surprising even to the designer. Yeah, great. So. Tell us about your work, recent work of robotics. Uh, just a brief, what you're doing now, what what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So um, I was basically hired on a specific project, mm-hmm. which uh, it's a it's a EU-funded uh, wide collaboration mm-hmm. between uh, multiple universities and companies, where we try to develop a soft robotic uh, mm-hmm. heart prosthesis. Yeah. So it's called Hybrid Heart, mm-hmm. and the idea, the hybrid here. Is I guess there um, it's going to be a soft robotic device mm-hmm. that is actually intended to replace the human heart in case it uh, yeah. you know of severe heart failure. Uh, but the hybrid part here is that um, the the lining of this heart w- would be made of a scaffold 
um, mm. of a specifically designed polymer, yeah. uh, which also has a structure um, that is designed such that um, mm -hmm. it gets replaced by human cells over time. So in the end, you would have this rubber, mm. I, I keep saying rubber, but yeah. uh, some kind of, uh, of course, medically proved mm. uh, silicon polymer or polyurethane uh, uh, elastomer. Um, uh, that is that is covered in your own cells. Mm -hmm. So that's the that's the specific project that I was hired on, mm -hmm. uh, and actually we take you know uh, questions from that challenge that we also try to answer. And it turns out that these answers to this specific question may also be answers to mm -hmm. more general questions in soft robotics. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a second project that I'm currently working on uh, uh, with a, a colleague, Giorgio mm -hmm. Oliveri. Uh, where we take the completely different approach and we want to make a smart material. Mm -hmm. um, so there we really combine um, electronics, uh, simple electronics and software with, with soft materials to, to, to see if we can you know, get uh, as close as possible to a smart material. But maybe mm -hmm. can... It's a very good project. So the first question about the heart, how you make sure that it had the same properties like young models of the same uh, real heart of human. Is it challenging or? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, as it turns out, the, the you know nature is is not perfect, but it's yeah. it's not so bad either. Um, mm -hmm. So, of course, uh, you know, at, at first uh, there's two approaches. So either mm -hmm. you can try to mimic the heart, you know, as accurately as possible, mm -hmm. or you can say, okay, we know what it needs to do, and we try to make a solution better than nature or you know for you know with the, with the materials we have you know mm -hmm. we don't we, we don't have uh, at our disposition uh, actual human uh, muscle tissue which is powered by the blood which is of course yeah. super cool we don't have that so given that we don't have that and we do have uh, for example McKibben actuators how would you then design the heart so um, we do take this this biomimetic approach uh, and then indeed it turns out that all the you know the material properties are probably going to be mm -hmm. very close to the human heart um, uh, but of course we have some you know freedom and we need to also work around it a little bit mm -hmm. because yeah nature's materials are, are still um, better I guess yeah uh, than, than, than uh, artificial materials in some ways mm -hmm. So do you work with clinician or cooperation hospital? Yeah, yeah, as mm -hmm. well. Um, so we work with uh, AMC here in Amsterdam mm -hmm. uh, as part as sort of the the, the medical uh, lead of the project and okay, to, uh, also the lead of the project in general. Um, this collaboration really was started by um, um, Yolanda Klein, um, uh, a heart surgeon at mm -hmm. uh, AMC together with uh, our group leader uh, Bas Overveld here at Amolf and others um, where really uh, after sort of by chance reading about soft robotics mm -hmm. Yolanda Klein uh, envisioned this this to come together with uh, you know heart surgery and could you make uh, out of this soft robotics technology or this this new idea a heart, uh, full heart prosthesis. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we do work together with uh, with clinicians. Yeah. Right. So what are the challenges you expect in the project? Or something think it's. Oh, it's really easy. No, it's very very difficult. <laughs> okay. And the challenges are are manifold. So uh, 
if we start with the material and you com compare natural materials like muscle mm -hmm. to um, our materials, then I think the biggest challenge is that, okay, the heart doesn't regenerate as yeah. much as uh, other tissues. Um, but in general, uh, you have to make something that lasts for a very long time, mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of millions of beats. Mm. Uh, the actuation cycles of the heart are, are many times more than the times uh, a wheel of a car revolves in its lifetime. So it's a big challenge to make something from the start that's still going to be uh, good in five years, for example. Uh, that's one big challenge and it, you know, of course many questions follow from there. And then the other big question is how do you power this heart? So, mm -hmm. um, soft robotics, the mo I guess many of the most powerful actuators are fluidic or pneumatically driven. Yeah. So you need some kind of pressure source or vacuum source and um, actually listening to some of the podcasts I heard mm -hmm. other speakers as well yeah. mentioning that that is a challenge and inside the body um, I guess there are two ways to do it, or maybe there are other ways, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, one way is to have some kind of energy source outside of the body and transfer that physically into the body, which is being done right now. So if you, if you, have, if you look at heart prosthesis, there's basically one that's mm -hmm. being used a lot and one with you know, very few, application, mm -hmm. very few uh, patients uh, in a trial, but the, but the first one, uh, is driven by pneumatic drive line. So you mm -hmm. literally have like a garden hose coming out of your chest with mm. a pump outside of the body. And that's because making mm. this pump small and, and putting it in the body is not so easy. Still, that's what we're intending to do mm -hmm. and powering this thing from the outside wirelessly. So as you're charging, just as you're charging your mobile phone nowadays yeah. wirelessly, this technology can be stretched a bit um, uh, and uh, then the challenge is to make our system so efficient mm -hmm. that you know by this wireless transfer without heating the the the, the tissue that's in between, um, so that gives a limit on the amount of power we can use, and still we want to uh, pump this blood around. So there's there's a big challenge for for efficiency, so, yeah. and that's just two of the many challenges that we're uh, mm. we're facing. Yeah. So, but according to wireless, do you think this could, in the long term, could be side effect for a human blood? Um, I am not sure. Um, I know it's in use, of course, for way lower powers mm -hmm. for, for a long time already. Uh, and at the moment, uh, what we know is that we can transmit uh, a certain amount of power, the order of uh, tens of watts, uh, uh, through tissue. Mm -hmm. I think our partners have... Uh, tested this on, on cadavers, etc. Um, and then from other research, it's known that you're not supposed to heat the tissue by more than so and so much. And if we take that into account, we, we feel that on that, on that aspect, we are okay. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you, know, you never know in the long term, of course, uh, mm -hmm. what other effects there could be. So what is the expectation after five years? Do you think how you would imagine this project would be, or there would be a limitation. Do you think in five years' time you, you can achieve something like that, or? I think so. Yeah. Um, so the big goal, of course, is to have this fully implanted, wirelessly powered uh, device mm -hmm. that lasts for five years or more, um, uh, powering uh, or, or pumping around the blood as a as a, a healthy a native hardwood. Mm -hmm. 
but there's of course many um, uh, intermediate steps that we could take. So first of all, we could still have a drive line, be it uh, pneumatic or electrical. So we would either have the pump outside of the body or the pump in the body, but it being powered, not wirelessly, but through mm. an electrical drive line through the skin. Um, and then on the um, on the material side, we could have this fully uh, mm. hybrid uh, solution where indeed uh, all of the surfaces are uh, being replaced as it's uh, implanted uh, over time, being replaced by native cells. Uh, it's sort of like, it's called in situ tissue engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, other approaches would be that you take uh, a scaffold and in the lab uh, grow cells of a, of a person. Uh, that's also, of course, your own cells. Yeah. But then you have, you know, other challenges. So in situ tissue engineer, okay, maybe uh, this part is not fully developed yet. So there's the different stages at which we could already go to, to um, uh, certainly in vitro uh, trials and potentially uh, trials on, on, on uh, animal models as well. Mm -hmm. So before going to that next project, um, I would like to ask you how you define soft robotics from your experience. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's generally defined as the materials being used, you know, being soft, mm -hmm. like uh, having a, a modulus, um, I guess comparable to, to, to human tissue in a way. And I think it needs to be soft enough mm -hmm. to, um, you know, let the environment influence the robot. Mm -hmm. uh, if the material is so stiff compared to what it's handling, that uh, it just completely uh, determines the behavior, there is no interaction. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't call that a soft robot. Uh, on the other hand, if you are handling very stiff materials, maybe a stiffer robot could still be soft, if mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's the ratio more of you know what you're handling mm -hmm. and 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 the robot itself. If there are orders of magnitude in between, mm -hmm. then I would say I would call it a soft robot. Mm -hmm. So do you think that soft robotics must be fully soft or just hybrid? I know I, I definitely believe in in hybrid solutions as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I when I started this this PhD, I had many questions about the mm -hmm. usefulness of soft robotics, uh, and, and that was one of the things I wanted to study. I was intrigued by by this topic, but also had many doubts if this could ever be, uh, you know, widely applied because uh, you have this idea that it's that it needs to be soft. Mm -hmm. That means that you cannot exert high forces and. Uh, in many applications you do need that so it's there's limitations to what you can do i think with just soft robotics and at some point you need to have a skeleton or anything or or, or jamming so you can maybe have tunable stiffness um, but i definitely see in nature as well that uh, there's combinations of soft and hard structures that together uh, give the best performance usually wait mm -hmm. so i would like to ask you what do you think the biggest roadblocks or challenges that could face soft robotics in general from your experience now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's still a lot unknown about soft robotics. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there are two topics that we are interested in and starting to work on that, that we find uh, fundamentally uh, uh, 
limiting at the moment and one is efficiency mm-hmm. i think not a lot is known about efficiency energy efficiency in soft robotics um, there isn't really a standard of how to measure efficiency uh, i would say uh, typically if you look at actuators uh, okay so we report a blocked force and we report a uh, um, uh, unloaded extension mm-hmm. uh, but what happens in between or you know given that soft robots are um, behaving differently under different loads in how would they behave uh, under real life loads and then if you look at these efficiencies uh, that are reported they're very low mm. so uh, let's think about ways how we can reuse energy better or in general study the efficiency and try to improve it and that couples to the fact that we don't have mobile power sources really mm. and and you know, making a mobile power source when the robot is very inefficient uh, complicates the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so for mobile devices or implants, I think these are our big challenges. Um, okay, so, so efficiency. Another point would be durability. Also, yeah. that is not really known. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at uh, reports in literature, you know, sporadically up to a million cycles have been reported mm-hmm. uh, but going back to the hybrid heart we need 100 million or more mm-hmm. so there's still a gap and and we're looking into uh, doing some accelerated aging studies etc to to get a better handle on what fails and why mm-hmm. and, and can we avoid that and of course it would be great if there could be you know self-healing materials i i think there are of course studies uh, in that direction as well um, but still not so many where the healing mm-hmm. happens under conditions that are compatible with, for example, being inside the body. If you need to heat the material to 80 degrees mm. cent- uh, centigrade to, to, to heal, uh, that's not great. But there are definitely uh, cool uh, developments there as well. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting point, I think, about how we make sure that and at the end of the day, soft robotics is, has a repeatable performance and do you think this is related to the hype in research because sometimes you have a paper or just a research and you go to the hype that oh we solved the problem do you think there's a hype in that case because we don't have enough data set just to show this material after like many cycles as you highlighted is working still working and yeah. get the same performance no I, I think there's just stages in the in the in the life of a field right so mm-hmm. soft robotics is still quite new yeah um, uh, it's funny because I'm uh, I'm a PhD student, but of course, ten years ago I, I already worked <laughs> a little bit in research, <laughs> and at that time I was working in carbon nanotube growth, yeah. and it was all the hype. Mm. And and it's good to see now there are some applications, mm-hmm. um, but also not. It's not like every single trans uh, transistor in the world has been replaced by potentially better uh, carbon nanotube transistors because there are limitations. So I think it, um, um, in this stage, it's important that there are these probes into what soft robotics could be mm-hmm. uh, without you know, demanding for every paper that you test this for, for uh, 10 years. Um, uh, but at the same time that people start looking at, in general, how can we make these applications uh, more durable? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's uh, you, we need both sort yeah. of pioneers doing new things, mm-hmm. uh, which I of course really <laughs> like to see myself uh, as yeah. as well. 
but at the same time some rigor in uh, yeah would this actually be applicable and I, we, we try to do that a little bit as mm -hmm. well great so what do you think are the misconceptions about soft robotics something you think oh yeah, Maybe you don't understand it very well. I think that relates to the hype. So it's not okay. a thing that will replace all robots in every situation. Mm -hmm. uh, even though they can be great in, in one application, doesn't mean they are great uh, everywhere. So mm -hmm. I think at this moment we are a little bit in a hype period. So that would be the misconception, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but at the same time, um, you don't need to demand of this uh, technology to to be a cure-all for it to be any good. I mm -hmm. mean, if if in the end, in ten years, there are a few niches in which soft robotics uh, turn out to have been successful, I think that's already great. Mm -hmm. Great. So before going to the second project about smart materials, I would like to ask you how you would see intelligence in soft robotics. What is intelligence, you think? Yeah, it's a difficult point. Uh, very interesting. Um, when is it intelligent? And I think we are a little bit liberal with that in general. Uh, you know, if a material bends around an object, it's already mm -hmm. called intelligent. Um, whereas intelligence, I think, uh, implies some kind of creativity in solving a problem. But there are very, very few uh, uh, robotic systems that have this kind of intelligence. Mm -hmm. So. If we aim a little bit lower, <laughs> yeah. then I think um, uh, yeah, many people speak of intelligence as embodied intelligence, mm -hmm. in the sense that um, the material um, yeah responds differently under different uh, loadings or different situations. Mm -hmm. And I guess what we what we try to do is push it a little bit further using uh, uh, feedback without electronics. So this is the particular solution we are aiming for for the hybrid heart uh -huh. to use um, uh, sort of intrinsic feedback in the in the driving system somehow. And how? we have how we well, I, um, I think it's difficult to explain all the details here okay. on the on the podcast. But what we can what I can say is we're using the fluidic uh, driving mm -hmm. network itself in combination with the actuators. Uh, and some uh, nonlinear mechanical elements mm -hmm. to generate um, uh, some rudimentary feed-forward control, mm -hmm. and we're studying also how we could use feedback in such systems to to achieve stable behavior. Mm -hmm. so for example, this heart you would like to uh, pump a certain amount of blood, let's say five liters per minute, even if your body decides to be a bit stressful and the blood pressure rises. Mm -hmm. So if you don't do anything, then the blood uh, flow will go down. Uh, but we don't want to have that sort of the, the dream, right? Mm -hmm. Again, we, there are some intermediate stages that we could stop at, but the dream would be no electronics mm -hmm. because we don't want to integrate hard and soft elements. Okay, you could develop soft electronics, but that would be a different project. We say we use the fluidic driving network itself to create some kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. and. I think this is a very uh, elegant uh, solution if it works and we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, some other people are also working on this idea of using the driving network, I think, to create uh, uh, you know, control. And uh, yeah, that's what we're really excited about uh, for, yeah. for that project. Great. So tell us more about the smart materials that you you have you read in the library have nice com a completed pro project about intelligence and material. 
So how how you do would define a smart material? What is smart material? Uh, it's a simple definition that we have developed here in the lab. Mm -hmm. Is if you cut the material in two parts, mm -hmm. then the two parts should still have the same bulk properties. Then it's a material. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if this is like always, uh, um, you know, that it covers every uh, definition of a material. But but for us, that's what we do. So. That means if you have a metamaterial, you know the unicells have to be small compared to the to the bulk size. Mm -hmm. Then you you can get this. Um, and if you have a modular material, as we are developing, you need to have small units and many of them. And it uh, precludes uh, central control. So um, if you would have this material, and it needs to commun communicate um, with a central controller, then um, we would say it's not it's not a smart material, but it could still be a smart system. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting because we have been working iron conductive bone a little bit, but I think this is different if we cut the material in half and still have the same and maintain the same intelligence. So this is think related to morphology and intelligence. How how you make sure that still maintain its intelligence? So. Um, we say that if if you want um, to be able to cut this material in, in in half and it still behaves the same everything the only way we can think of <laughs> we're not smart enough to think of something else is that every uh, unit has to have local uh, rules um, that um, um, as i said do not have any central uh, um, needs let's mm -hmm. say uh, and if then, by having physical interaction with other units, you can still get global behavior, mm -hmm. then of course the question is what you know what kind of behavior can you still achieve? Mm -hmm. So so there will be limits. So you cannot have a super smart material, but you can have a smart material, hopefully, um, that that is cuttable and still uh, uh, keeps its intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way we do it is by having fully local rules. Okay, so what are limitations you expect in this type of project? Limitations? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, so if you really think about um, um, more complex goals or, or um, creativity and all of these things that I, that I would define mm -hmm. as really intelligent, it's going to be difficult. But if you just want, for example, locomotion, uh, then I think uh, if every unit has some kind of sense of where it is, uh, there are possibilities because you know they're coupled so somehow through the physical interactions there's some coupling between them and still by having local rules but we're still you know um, I would say we are at the stage of harvest now mm. so we have developed this system we have seen that we can get locomotion we've seen that it's uh, robust against uh, um, against disturbances Mm -hmm. It continues to learn. That's that's one of the other key points. So we don't optimize um, and then stop. And then we have this set of this set of uh, um, parameters that works. No, the idea is we are continuously probing how we're doing and continuously updating our rules such that you know even if in ten years the the environment changes, mm -hmm. this this um, behavior remains plastic. Let's say. Yeah. Um, so that's the two components. The continuous learning and the fully local control 
and so we have had some first results with that. It looks promising, and now is the time to really start playing with it, scaling it up, and see how far we can get. Interesting to continuous learning. How to make sure it's learning properly? Yeah, um, of course there there are some. Um, we we don't want to impose so much uh, the behavior. At the same time, uh, you have to give some rules, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a computer in the end. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's there's a challenge. How do you uh, prove? And I don't think we can prove it yet, but we can show it that uh, you know these sim very simple local rules together still give the behavior globally that we are looking for. In this case, the robot which should walk in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's exciting. Great. So I don't know what you think about the general research of robotics because some working on passive material and coming up with algorithm and sometimes in some other guests highlighted that sometimes the controller destroy the natural uh, properties of the material. It just there's something it's happening and that the controller doesn't really capture the natural dynamics of soft robotics. Do you think this is um, a good approach or the community have to focus on designing a smart material? Um, I think there's, there's room for everything. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's the first thing I'll say. But then uh, if I would be, you know, asked to, um, what, what do you like most? Then I personally prefer, uh, you know, not to have a controller mm -hmm. um, that does basically most of the work because it seems that then it's better to, to use some kind of underactuated stiff system, mm -hmm. maybe. Of course, there can always be exceptions, but it feels that they kind of are um, in, their, in, their, in, the, in each other's way. So if you would have a soft robot, mm -hmm. yeah, let it be soft, <laughs> yeah. and try to make it such that um, you know, it does what it needs to do under most circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think there's still a lot we can do with, uh, you know, physical feedback fi uh, in the fluid network and, and maybe with some local electronics uh, that are soft or anything. But if you want to control it too much, it was already a little bit in your question, but I, I do agree. Then, uh, yeah, you kind of kill the, the benefits of the soft robot. Yeah. So do you think it's challenging because soft robotics is interdisciplinary field? Do you think sometimes when you read paper or projects, key project, because we work sometimes mechanical and electrical and material side. Do you think there is a gap here or still a challenge that every one understand the language of other groups? Do you think this is challenging or is not a big deal happening? Uh, first of all, I, I really like uh, that it's uh, uh, multidisciplinary and uh, that you know people are jumping from one field to another. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's very good. I think that solutions from one field that are very obvious in this one field can, can be completely new in another field. Mm -hmm. But that also means that at the moment, sometimes you see work where you think, okay, but this was already known many, many years ago in you know, field X, and now you, 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 know, you pose it as something completely new. Uh, but I think that's inherent to, to, to the field. I don't think that's bad in itself. Mm -hmm. Just. Um, um, yeah, it just means we can learn from, from each other. Mm -hmm. But it could be misleading if something is already is not new. And you think this could be misleading for new uh, students? Um, could it be misleading? No, I, I mean, 
I don't think that that you know people are writing papers with in bad faith. Okay. I just think that sometimes um, you know something is rediscovered a few times, and mm -hmm. that's fine. Um, I think that's that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, I would I would focus rather on the you know the positive of working together. Mm -hmm. um, you know of of um, using something that came from one field and and it's you know maybe established there, mm -hmm. but very new in another field. I think that's only good. That's mm -hmm. that's how we uh, how we can all yeah. uh, benefit. Great. So could you tell us other interesting projects you're involved in, upcoming projects in the group? In our group we work in, in general on nonlinear uh, materials, yeah. nonlinear structures, mm -hmm. uh, using feedback, uh, using other techniques to create somehow, you know, emergence of interesting behavior. And this is basically based on um, our, our PI Bas Overvelde, who, who worked at uh, Katja Bartoldi's uh, lab in his PhD, uh, doing um, I guess just that. So, so, so in her lab, there was a lot known about metamaterials and mechanics, and I think one of the things that he pioneered there was to combine that with robotics, um, for example, the work on um, the the highly nonlinear. Uh, uh, actuators basically balloons mm -hmm. if you combine two balloons in the yeah. classic experiment you know that the the slightly smaller one actually deflates into the bigger one which mm -hmm. is maybe counterintuitive at first yeah. and you could exploit that to create um, you know sequences in in actuation and create uh, you know if you if you prepare the actuator just before the snap through and you add one more milliliter then you can uh, with this tiny input you can get a big Mm -hmm. uh, response. Uh, so these these are the kind of things that we are working on, and then uh, I guess my my colleague um, Giorgio uh, is working on uh, this this smart material project now mainly, uh, but he just finished a, a big project on uh, stochastic um, optimization of uh, of uh, metamaterials. So so basically developing a new method. Mm -hmm to uh, do inverse design of, uh, of metamaterials, which is always a, uh, you know, sort of an open question. Yeah. Once you know the structure, you know, of course, what uh, it's going to do. At least you can study that. But how do you design the structure such that it has a specific behavior? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, that's sometimes an open question for certain systems. Um, and my, my uh, other colleague, uh, Agustin um, uh, Rabago, um, he um, he just finished a big project on uh, elastic origami. Mm -hmm. So origami is typically studied as rigid faces, and only uh, degree of freedom is the hinges. But if you if you look at deformation of the the plates, uh, or conversely, the the hinges can can uh, wiggle a little bit, mm -hmm. so they have some flexibility in the other degree of, in in other degrees of freedom than this this one. Uh, and you make structures that are normally um, that normally have uh, only one stable state. It turns out you can create systems that have multiple stable states. Um, and if you would then, coming back to materials, if you then would take that unit mm -hmm. and tessellate it indefinitely in three dimensions, you would have a material that could have multiple uh, stable states. So, so both of these projects that I just mentioned, I'm not part of that, okay. but it is part of 
the groups of robotic matter here at AMOLF. And yeah, and then there are some, some collaborations uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we're doing sort of spin-offs of, uh, of the, the work with, with, uh, with the hybrid heart as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all very, very, uh, very fresh. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Great. So would you think the question sometimes if you just, because you're still in the research, so what kind of question uh, like we didn't consider yet in soft robotics, don't think you think, oh, we have to consider these questions? Um, ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, um, the questions that I already know are the mm-hmm. questions I'm working on. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't have, uh, you know, uh, like a huge pile of, of questions that I that mm-hmm. I don't attack. So we, we yeah. have these big ideas of, you know, efficiency in general, durability in general, and um, you know. Uh, Making robots more mobile by removing the teether. So, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe coming back to that last point, I think that's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Obviously, to to find ways to power robots, uh, uh, you know, in a in a in a good way that 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 is compatible mm-hmm. with with the the environment. So either that means that it's untethered, uh, and or it means it's compatible to, for example, uh, you know, being inside a, a patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these are these are these are big questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in in you know all the parts uh, going from materials, as I said, you know self healing would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think it's the field is so new that still uh, like really uh, really new things come up. So I um, I recently saw this paper on you know stretchable pumps. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's fantastic. I mean, okay, so it, the output of this pump is not very big yet. But it's just a completely different way of, of thinking. Uh, you know, I, I really like these completely new ideas of, um, you know, in this case, how can we generate flow or pressure? Mm-hmm. Uh, setting this ambitious goal of the machine being fully soft, and mm. so they use, uh, you know, ele- high electric fields to to somehow, uh, you know, accelerate the fluid yeah. uh, without any moving parts. I think that's that's neat. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you how you predict if you are using smart material, even the project of the artificial heart, how do you predict the performance uh, that in like after a couple of hours of work and how you predict this behavior? How do you predict? Um, yeah, I, th- I think in general, um, these systems are highly repeatable. Mm-hmm. So, so what we have worked on uh, one of the first things I did when I came here is, is set up a, a measurement mm-hmm. uh, uh, setup where we accurately control flow and pressure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at at um, at high precision, and we can measure at a very high time resolution. And the systems we study, they they have uh, all kind of interesting uh, higher order dynamic behavior. That we don't need to consider uh, mm-hmm. for its main functioning. So we have, let's say, valves that open and close. Of course, in the opening and closing, we have such time resolution that we can see, uh, you know, higher order vibrations that we don't necessarily need to um, uh, include uh, in our models to to predict the general behavior. But then, what's funny is if you if you take a measurement of an hour and you overlap you overlap the measurements. You know, with a very high resolution, you s- you see that 
the behavior stays constant, including all of these little wiggles that yeah. you have from from uh, from from local mechanical oscillations. And that's to me promising in the sense that um, you know if you want to control something that's behaving in any case predictably, mm-hmm. it gives a it gives hopes of um, you know it being reproducible over uh, many samples or over a longer period of time. And uh, I think I also mentioned that we are working on on a setup where we physically test our devices for a longer time, mm-hmm. uh, maybe under uh, controlled conditions. To accelerate uh, deterioration a little bit, um, uh, but yeah, other than you know material degradation, which will happen, mm-hmm. I think uh, the behavior could be quite constant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you think simulation in that case could help us in designing. Or what would you think about simulation tools like FEM or the material? Yeah. Do you think it's helpful? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we use uh, FEM mm-hmm. uh, to to predict how our uh, structures behave. We do not include aging in that typically. Uh, that's that's also possible, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but we focus more on just just the nonlinear dynamics, okay. Okay. Uh, which in itself is is challenging enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but f- for us, we have, I think, in our group, there has been a collaboration. Uh, more on biomaterials, mm-hmm. where where Giorgio I think studied through FEM uh, the influence of crack formation on mm-hmm. some kind of biogel. Yeah. Uh, but for the typical soft robotics applications, we are more intending to study this experimentally for the moment. Mm-hmm. Great. But in in general, um, for every problem, we try to have some analytical handle on it, some numerical handle on it. Mm-hmm. But we, what I really learned uh, from from Bas in in this uh, uh, in this period here at, at Amolf is that you always want to check your uh, models with experiments as soon as possible. So uh, you can calculate, you know, your whole PhD mm-hmm. on on how this robot will behave um, when your assumptions are wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be different in reality, and so so try to. I don't know. I guess in uh, people say uh, fail early. So mm-hmm. so you know take a small step and and validate this with an experiment, or, or even start from an experiment and see what's interesting and try to mm-hmm. capture that part in uh, at least in your model. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Great. So I don't know what you think about having a soft microcontroller because in some research is saying that more law is dying. There's no need to use transistor anymore. Do you think this something is worthwhile to investigate that we have soft microcontroller? Um, yeah, yes and no. So I, yes no. I have seen okay. uh, I've seen work where um, where people basically take uh, concepts from electronics yeah. and one-on-one translate them. Like, and I talk about digital electronics now, mm-hmm. uh, and project them one-on-one on fluidics, and and then make that. Mm-hmm. I think that that has uh, lots of applications. Actually, if you look at uh, the industrialization, uh, then uh, okay, I don't know the exact uh, years when this was applied, but uh, you know, in, I guess in some factories, if you go today, mm-hmm. you will still see pneumatic controllers. Mm-hmm. Not many. It's it's uh, you know mostly electronics now, but uh, tens of years ago, uh, for sure, you still had this this pneumatic logic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can do uh, advanced uh, sequencing 
and feed forward control with that, some feedback maybe. Mm. But I think if you really want to, uh, I mean, the strength of microelectronics is the scalability. So if you have um, many, 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 many transistors, then it becomes powerful. And I don't really feel that, that that's the way to go for fluidics, because uh, if you want to downscale a lot, then at some point your flows are going to be restricted too much to get any high throughput. So I feel that um, using the electronic analogy is definitely useful, um, but I wouldn't think that um, you know fluidic logic would replace electronic logic at any time soon or never actually. Mm-hmm. For the very high end calculations, I would rather I would I would expect rather that electronics become soft than that fluidics turn into electronics. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So let me ask you, what do you think about most interesting projects have been done so far in soft robotics community? Something resonates to you from other groups? So uh, yeah, I already mentioned this uh, uh, this pump is one one thing that came to mind. Um, also, in general, in, in the Whitesides group, people have been working on also using the fluidic uh, driving networks, uh, you know, to uh, to control uh, actuators, and I think that's also, yeah, kind of along the lines that we are we are going. Mm-hmm. And I think as there's a group of people now, you know, taking up this 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 challenge of how can we control soft robots without electronics, and there are other examples. Um, um, the Holmes Group in the, in the UK. Um, that's 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 something that resonates with me mm-hmm. because I'm working on it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, uh, yeah, what what really uh, fascinates many people, I think, in robotics is mm-hmm. when it starts to move. Yeah. So for me as well, uh, you know, if you have anything that uh, that that has locomotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, do you think that in soft robotics, I think this may be applied to every field, but in soft robotics, because we're dealing with material and we have to make sure it's biocompatible and biodegradable, do you think that there is ethical consideration or regulation we have to come up with? Because sometimes you, I don't know what you think because you have any experience in this field, do you think there is missing that rules how we can have uh, consider ethics or regulation for research in in general i think for it's, the uh, technology developed yeah yeah it, it's um it's sometimes not obvious how mm-hmm. let's say a technology can be misused or yeah you know what what the effects of this technology will be mm-hmm. and um yeah, it's just a reality that that many projects are driven by curiosity yeah and ethics are dealt with later, uh, which doesn't, you know, in itself have to be a huge problem. Um, but I think we can, we could learn a lot from, you know, involving potential users, uh, you know, even even when writing a grant proposal or or a plan or starting a project, um, thinking better about uh, how this technology might be applied. And if you're going to spend your time uh, researching something, then yeah, it's it's. I think it's nice to have some idea of uh, at least um, how you would like it to be used and potential risks. So 
I think it's a uh, it's something that um, isn't really uh, uh, mandatory mm -hmm. unless you start doing experiments on people or animals or mm -hmm. something like that, and that's that's obvious, right? But uh, I'm not sure if regulations are needed, mm -hmm. but uh, it's definitely something that we could learn a lot from thinking about application beforehand um, and, and making sure that uh, yeah, it's not being uh, misused. I, I think it's, uh, it's a good idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. So here is a future question about how, if you just said to yourself, how you'd imagine stuff robotics in the future, something in your imagination, how you see it? How you could foresee it in the future of robotics? I think there will be um, um, these applications that you that you have now. They will mature. Let let's say grippers and uh, rippers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 kind of like that, right? So um, I guess soft robotics, uh, soft actuators have been used for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, bellows, uh, actuators, inflatable actuators that. Mm -hmm divide the pressure evenly over surface have been in use for way longer than the word soft robotics. Yeah. So, so these kind of applications, they will be there. Uh, I think there will be applications um, in, in, uh, 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 in, in uh, exoskeletons, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, that, that's, that's happening. I think it will, it will continue because there the, the advantage is so obvious of having soft actuators. Uh, probably combined with some harder exoskeleton, uh, for example. I really think that these kind of things will happen. Um, I don't see a world where uh, you know m most or, or uh, you know even a, um, a modest part of, of robotics is is always going to be soft robotics. I mm -hmm. think it 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 for me it's it feels like it has its very strong points in very narrow application range to that's sort of how it feels for me yeah and I think that's good so we will have uh, hybrid solutions uh, robotic arms with soft end effectors um, implants that, that will be soft um, but not every robot uh, is going to be soft I think yeah so how we can ensure that soft robotics will be beneficial to human as well this is something like how we make, we can make sure as a community in the world of robotics. Yeah, I think your your previous question uh, links into this. So, you know, uh, ethics could be about uh, not being harmful, but you know, you could also pose the same question as uh, at the beginning of each project: what could be the benefits? And I think it's just a matter of thinking about it more, um, and. Uh, in that way, uh, we can make sure that uh, that we work on the right things. Um, How we can make sure we're working on the right thing and research, because sometimes it's a journey of five years or something. Yeah. How yeah. we can make sure we are doing the right thing? Well, I think the goal of research is to finding, you know, find new knowledge. Yeah. It's, it should either be new for the researcher. I mean, yeah. sometimes you just need to learn and educate people. Uh, I learn a lot of new things that are yeah. you know, not new for the world, but they are new for me. Mm -hmm. And in that way, I hopefully become smarter and then later I can solve other problems better. Um, so that's, I think, what explicitly one goal of research is education. Uh, so in that sense, it doesn't matter uh, what you work on as long as you are learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the other hand, 
you will see nine out of ten, you know, ideas never come to reality at at least any uh, industrial application or yeah. wide use. Uh, but I feel I'm I'm one of those. Uh, I'm a proponent of of uh, curiosity-driven research in principle, mm -hmm. where um, you know you don't really know where it's going to be applied. Um, it's good to think about it beforehand and to be guided by applications, but almost all big event, uh, inventions uh, are some other event, invention, you know, being misused in, mm -hmm. a, in a different, uh, quote unquote, yeah. Yeah, so, so used in a very different way than it was uh, intended for. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I don't think we know yet. Okay. So back into industrial sector, do you think that soft robotics find its niche and industry or is this something too early? There is few companies, but how you see it, especially if you work in, in this kind of very important project? Did you get responses from industry? Are they interested to commercialize what you're working on? Yeah, we have we have some interest. Um, um, we do have some interest uh, in, in in our work, um, and I think in the Netherlands less than in, for example, the U.S. Is it common to to uh, you know to think about uh, industrialization in very early stages of research? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure we, um, I think this could be improved actually. Uh, so uh, working with, with industry is typically seen as, uh, in, in, in Holland, it's not so much seen as a, uh, as a very positive thing for, for researchers. Uh, I think once people are doing it, maybe you, know, you see the benefits, but there are, are uh, also concerns, right? I mean, uh, academic freedom is, is also very important. So uh, without making it too big of a discussion, uh, we have some interest and, and we are actually um, interested in, uh, in exploiting that in, in some way because we like to see our stuff being applied. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not something that uh, is already um, at, a, at a stage where uh, we can speak about it. Yeah, I see. So uh, we will go to that question about AI. Do you think that we have to come up with terminology how we integ integrate AI and soft robotics. Since, since embodied intelligence and morphology, I think they're very important. If you have a very intelligent uh, system, but the morphology doesn't really explode what the needs you have to do. So what do you think of this integration? Is something we have to really come up how we can integrate the morphology of soft robotics with the intelligence? How we would see it? Um. Yeah, this, these are all very interesting questions. I mean, I'm not working on this on a daily basis, right? Okay. So, so take my opinion as just my opinion. Uh, but I do see on conferences uh, that AI, I mean, as everybody is seeing probably, it's, it's, it's here and it's here to stay. Mm -hmm. And it's being used um, in a design phase a lot, I see, uh, to um, generate new ideas which we always thought that only humans can do, but, mm -hmm. but uh, by varying on, you know, maybe some input that was at some point given by a researcher. Um, but coming back to my very first point that, you know, you can program the system, but nowadays these systems are so big, you cannot know what it's going to come up with. So um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way of coming up with new designs, I think. Uh, it's a good way of sorting through huge amounts of data Although some people would not call that AI, but um, 
ja, somewhere between machine learning and AI and big data. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, I think, uh, a lot to be gained in, you know, in simulation, uh, sorting through results, uh, uh, going faster to the best solution uh, by genetic algorithms, etc. But this is all very generic. I, I don't yeah. have any huge first-hand experience on this. So I, I, I see it in talks in, in, you know, in the design phase. I heard about, um, and I can imagine that you would use it real life, uh, re- real time uh, in control uh, with this you know, system that's intrinsically infinitely degrees of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, we come back to the point of do you want to control everything completely? It, I, I think it would be very interesting to have many, many degrees of freedom actuators, you know, to combine with soft systems and then see if we can somehow, um, you know, control this with some kind of AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, would be, that would be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at this moment, this is still uh, a bit early. Yeah. So let me ask you, how do you think lay people think about soft robotics or they feel about soft robotics? If you just have a discussion with people who are not in the field, how, <laughs> well, do, you, how do you think the first time? I, I don't think that people, that it's such a big thing that, you know, lay people, uh, mm-hmm. it would be very um, uh, self-centered to think it's on people's minds. Soft mm-hmm. robotics is not on people's minds, I think, outside mm-hmm. of soft robotics. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, maybe in, in, in research, but not lay people. Yeah. And on the other hand, if you show a video uh, of your research, if I do that to anyone, including my kids or mm-hmm. um, you know my uh, my mother, yeah. um, what strikes them is that it's lifelike. Like you 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 immediately connect to this robot uh, in a very different way than mm-hmm. you connect to a uh, sort of a rigid robot. So I feel that um, that that. That that's something that we have it is not really a feature of soft robotics in itself but it does help a lot in communicating mm. that it is just um, uh, that it appeals to people right away this mm. is not an objective argument that's at all in, yeah. in favor of soft robotics but I, I do notice that that when you show something um, people get enthusiastic they like to play with it they want to feel it and and I think um, that this is going to help in uh, the popularizing of this topic, mm-hmm. for sure. So that's interesting. When you kids see this kind of robots, soft robotics, did they call it he or she or it? Because it sounds like <laughs> that I'm um, So I, I'm doing, uh, you know, various durability tests uh, yeah. at home. Um, yeah. So uh, we're making uh, uh, these holy holy sheets, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the prototypical. Uh, Metamaterial, mm. I, I think, the one that has this negative Poisson ratio, and it's it's heavily uh, used as a, a pencil stand yeah. at home, and and then you see that the durability is uh, <laughs> is still an issue. Um, no, so so recently we had an open day here at Amol, yeah. and I showed uh, my family the lab, yeah. and it was very difficult uh, for them to uh, to leave again. Uh, it, it it's really a playground, so you. We have these robots that we can, uh, you know, we, we can make them walk with with air, and when you when you're actuating, I think you see what you're doing. It's mm-hmm. like when you're driving a car, 
uh, you're one with the car, so it's not so surprising. Mm -hmm. But if you just look at a soft robot and it starts moving, you immediately think it's alive, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, my kids have this too. Yeah, okay, great. So do you think that in, in your goal, just in the future, do you think we have to integrate emotion also in the material that can feel like a human being? Do you think this is something we can do it as well as, not, um, of course it's haptic feedback, but it's emotion as a material. <laughs> do you think this is something that... Uh, that's funny that you're saying that. Um, we have uh, uh, an, um, an artist at the moment who does an artist in residence in our group. Mm -hmm. And I've, I, I believe that her project is exactly about that. Now, I think it, that's all still where, you know, the stage where we're at. So in the artistic world, I think, you know, many fr uh, new frontiers are explored. And in this case, um, um, she wants to uh, um, study uh, somehow uh, the physical uh, experience of emotions and if and how this can be somehow transferred to an audience through soft robotics. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny that you're mentioning this. We are, uh, um, I guess, exploring that, but, but not directly. We, yeah. we, but we do have uh, an artist in the group at the moment who, who um, for now is still uh, learning a lot about what's possible and at the same time studying uh, this, these emotions that, uh, you know, how they could translate somehow to, to um, uh, some kind of installation or mm. art piece. Um, for myself, um, I'm still a bit old-fashioned, maybe in terms of you know when you see robots caring, you know, taking care of elderly, etc. Mm -hmm. I think I still have to come over this barrier to to, to cross the barrier uh, where I see this as as only positive. Yeah, I still find it a bit sad, but at the Why? same Why sad? Yeah, because it's because it's artificial. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, what, what, as long I guess if it you know if it helps people, maybe it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just makes me a little bit sad that uh, that uh, you know as a society uh, you know we wouldn't be able to to take care of our elderly ourselves. Uh, that being said, mm. um, if that's the case and this helps, uh, I I think that soft robotics could be huge there because. Uh, what I just mentioned that, mm -hmm. that they really seem there really seems to be some feature of the softness that mm -hmm. really makes people connect to these uh, robots more way more easy than easily than uh, to to rigid robots mm -hmm. or just a screen yeah exactly that's interesting point also so do you think in the the realm what we're having a soft robotics there's some companies just working on soft gripper so they can pick fruit and the question is in some uh, developing countries they usually depend on and workforce and do you think this kind of technology could lead to social inequality because sometimes we develop technology but we don't know in the future could it lead to social inequality what do you think of that in the technology we develop do you think we have to consider that the um, impact we have in the long run for well, the communities yeah, I mean, this this may sound a bit cynical, but I mean that's the that's that's I think more a feature of you know industrial thinking in general. It's mm -hmm. a, I don't think this is uh, particular to soft robotics. If mm -hmm. you yeah, automation of course favors uh, 
those groups of people or those countries that have access to it, right? Yeah. Because it's cheaper and and more reliable uh, than than uh, relying fully on uh, uh, on human uh, labor. Uh, so that's a very interesting discussion mm-hmm. that I that I uh, I care about, but it's uh, I don't think very specific to to soft robotics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. As you have this rich experience between industry and academia, could you please tell us what what's really really was interesting to be in in company or being in academia? Um, what's really nice in, in 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 industry is that you you know you can you can serve in the end you're serving customers in a way, um, and um, that gives uh, you know that gives uh, guidance or, or you know mm-hmm. gives a direction gives sense of purpose immediate. Uh, uh, sort of reward, uh, you know, when when a customer is happy or whenever uh, yeah. you find. Um, I was working in in more in research than in uh, uh, you know direct customer contact, but but it's always clear that you, you know, if you if you invent something that uh, that would benefit uh, in the end a, a customer that uh, you know that would make them happy, and at the same time. There's some kind of competition, right? Mm-hmm. So in you're you're in a competitive field uh, that can be very stimulating uh, in, in in general, I think. So if you um, if you're in industry, I think it's even more clear than in academia uh, if you're winning or not. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's 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 I, I guess the you know these are, are very good points of of industry. It's uh, it's fun. It's nice. Uh, you know, nice competition to be in, and it's good to serve people. Uh, it's clear what you're working for. Then, on the other hand, why did I go back to academia? Mm-hmm. Is that um, I am really I found out more fundamental guy. So I like applications, but then I like to think of you know what's the fundamental question here and spend a lot of time on that. And then I don't care if someone else then you know applies this knowledge to to come to the final uh, application. That's also fun. It's a lot of fun. But I found that the emphasis is obviously on on the the last part, mm-hmm. uh, the latter part in in industry. And I really wanted to spend time on the fundamental questions again. And that's why I came back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't regretted it since. I have to say. Okay. Great. So now as you're a researcher, so in academia, do you think ego is important for the researcher? Um, well, it's, it's, it's a thing that, that is there. So in, in that sense, it's important. Uh, some people are, are driven by ambition. Mm-hmm. I think many people are driven by ambition, uh, which is good. Um, me too, I think. But I think uh, the best uh, research or the best projects in general are done when you when you think about uh, yeah some other goal right then uh, then your own <laughs> your own ego hopefully that's not the only thing that uh, that matters so um, I think uh, uh, teams are very important and in a team uh, egos can be I think uh, difficult I mean it's it's again it can be a good driver but. Um, uh, yeah, I, I try to make, you know, the object of research more important than the, yeah. the researcher mm-hmm. uh, for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you're all excited together about uh, this robot, then that's the right atmosphere, I think. 
not mm. so much <laughs> we're just excited about uh, okay. ourselves being so smart mm-hmm. great so there is a hypothetical question if you become a professor in the future and have argument with a student how we would handle this argument <laughs> <laughs> wow this is because slowly turning into an interview uh, how would I handle the argument? Well, yeah, it, I think that really depends on on the on the situation. But typically, you know, any argument um, starts with a misunderstanding, uh, right? Yeah. So, so I think the first uh, ten steps would be to find out what really is the problem here, and uh, and then uh, then try and solve it together. But I I can't really, <laughs> uh, you know. I can't really envision myself yet being, uh, you know, a full professor or anything. Yeah. But I do see uh, more and more. Um, or maybe even with your co-workers now, if you have argument about something, how you handle this argument? Wow. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's. Uh, <laughs> I really feel that um, that. Um, yeah, as I just said, it's. I mean, it's always. It's all. There's always a, another question. That's mm-hmm. actually the question. And you know, if you manage to find out what the real question was, then typically, yeah. you know, a cup of coffee or beer, uh, uh, you know, help yeah. uh, help to solve it. Um, it's mostly when uh, you know when the misunderstanding just goes on, then then there may be problems. But to be honest, I I don't have <laughs> any <laughs> arguments at the moment with my colleagues. So okay. uh, glad, glad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so have you ever designed something a system because in, in real databases and ending up using at your home, uh, or you have any robots at your home recently? Mm, I I mean I'm. Um, no, I don't really have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I once worked on uh, on a light that you could uh, yeah. that you could uh, control with gestures, mm-hmm. and I have a few of those at home. I really like mm-hmm. it. Great. Um, but I don't have any moving robots. I yeah. still, uh, you know, sweep the floor uh, <laughs> manually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. So let me ask you, what do you envision yourself? Well, what is your dreams or called goals? in the coming years? Because you know, I'm still figuring out in your research. So what is your goals or dreams you have in your mind? So I started this PhD, I think, with the, with the idea of staying in academia. Mm-hmm. And so far, uh, you know, that hypothesis is still, uh, is still on, it's still mm-hmm. on the table. Um, so for the, for the near future, I just want to, you know, do good here and uh, have uh, some nice results and nice publications about it. Um, so I feel, uh, you know, having seen, uh, having been an entrepreneur uh, and work in industry and worked in academia, in the end I will probably, you know, combine uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I have seen now that, uh, you know, to, to be successful in academia, you really have to have to focus on on that uh, uh, that part and. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to finding, you know, my niche. Uh, mm-hmm. What would be uh, uh, probably somewhere between soft robotics and and something else. And yeah. you know, you combine some skills together, and then uh, you know, you find a good spot. And uh, I think that would be that would be uh, very uh, very mm-hmm. cool if mm-hmm. that all works out. Mm-hmm. So, do you think what do you think is the most important traits for a researcher or a student now in the PhD process? What are the main important traits 
Do you think a skill is important or just a trait? How do you see it if you have advice in mm. this the criteria of researcher? So, yeah, my own advice. I <laughs> this is like I, a trait for yeah, a researcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. three or yeah, okay. something. To... Okay. So, um, yeah, I, th I think it's... Uh, in, in, in a sense, uh, you know, be, be, being humble again, you know, with respect to the to the topic. So, mm -hmm. if you if you look uh, if you study um, in nature, for example, uh, there's a lot of people here at Amolf working on bio uh, uh, systems, biophysics, etc. And you know, it, this this is always um, there's always something new to discover, and you never fully fully grasp it, but uh, but still you want to you know get to a stage where you understand what. Uh, what uh, what you can understand while still you know uh, seeing that uh, that nature is always going to be smarter yeah. than you so so that's that's one thing then of course uh, you know you need to have certain skills to uh, uh, certain um, um, certain way of thinking especially I think mm -hmm. you know uh, to to approach uh, every time a new problem. Mm -hmm. And, and I think there also, you know, you're going to find and I have found and everybody has found that, you know, things don't go as planned and then still trying to be effective is, is of course, uh, very important. Um, yeah. And then lastly, uh, I think you just uh, it, it needs to be for you, right? If you if you like all of this uncertainty and hard work and uh, um, yeah, also some competition and, and all of these things. Then, then yeah, then then it's then it's for you. And otherwise, uh, there are uh, you know many other things that would be fun. But uh, I think uh, you know just liking it is necessary because mm -hmm. uh, it it is hard work. Yeah, yeah good point. So we are going to the end now. Yeah. What is the best advice was given to you and was like life changing for you? Something in every day is stuck in my advice. You would like to share with the audience. <laughs> you, you ask no small questions. Um, uh, I don't know. So, you know, academically, uh, I had a few pieces of advice. So, so I graduated uh, with uh, Alexander Slocum, and, and there I really learned to, you know, take a problem apart and go to the fundamentals, and then and then apply what you learned again, you know, in in a, in some kind of uh, real life application, and. Um, just comes to mind recently we had a visitor uh, Pedro Reis and mm -hmm. we as students we get the chance to 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 meet the the main speakers that come here for the for the for the big colloquia yeah. and you get like an hour with this big name in this case uh, Pedro uh, and and uh, he really talked about you know how do you shape your academic career because it, you can talk about the research for an hour, but it's always too short. So he said, let's talk about academic career. And he had a very fun uh, advice, which was, it's like cooking. So if you have two ingredients only, mm -hmm. you cannot make a nice dish. I mean, two ingredients is just not enough. But if you're a good cook with three ingredients, mm -hmm. you can get somewhere. That's so nice. so <laughs> what does that mean? Um, you know, in your, in your uh, academic career, try to gather a few things that you that you uh, you're very good at mm -hmm. different things and then if you if you can combine them together and maybe that's going to be your niche niche mm -hmm. and that's uh, that, that that's sort of uh, one thing that stuck well that's uh, nice yeah yeah it was a very <laughs> nice one yeah yeah so at the end of the podcast i would like to ask if you have final words uh, you would like to share with software robotics community 
Well, uh, th- thanks for listening to the to the to the podcast. I think, and uh, you know, uh, thank you for uh, for for organizing all of this. And I sure. think it shows that uh, soft robotics is a lively field. Uh, I'm uh, you know new as a researcher, new to the field, but I, I see that as a small but very strong community already. Uh, and you know, let's uh, let's together uh, um, you know see how far uh, soft robotics can go. Okay. Thanks so much for your time and on behalf of IEEE RAS uh, Soft Robotics team, I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.